You are listening to Tell It From Calvary, a ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, New York City, where we preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. The following sermon is by Dr. Ed Stetzer, author, missiologist, and interim teaching pastor at Calvary. For upcoming events and services, visit our website at cbcnyc.org. And now, here is today's message. Good to see everybody this morning. And I'm Ed Stetzer, and the interim uh, teaching pastor here. Glad to be able to open God's Word with you today. Welcome to the Calvary Meat Locker. Uh, if you brought any products that needed to be refrigerated, you just had to come to church today and bring them with you, and that's no problem at all. So that's good. I see you over there. It's a little cold. Yeah, my daughter was, my daughter Caitlin's with me. Caitlin, wave to everybody over there. There's Caitlin. And uh, she was actually wearing my jacket until just a few moments ago. So, <laughs> so it's all good and so good and so glad to see you today uh, as well. I actually think I was out with the, to dinner with the Doctors Canary last night and with John and we had a little fun together, and, but they actually set it up so that my chair would break. And so I sat down in my chair, my chair broke, I fell on the floor. We got a free dinner out of it. Uh, and so I like to think of this as sort of the ice for my back is what this is this morning. So, but I am on some substantial uh, pain medication, so let's see how this goes, right? You never know what I'm gonna say when that's the case. So if you have your Bible, take it out. If you don't have a Bible, repent and look on with a friend. I'm just kidding, but I uh, told you I'm on some serious medication right now. But Matthew chapter 5, we're going to talk about satisfaction guaranteed, and we're going to talk about the words of Jesus here. Most of us here have actually never felt a kind of life-altering hunger that people around the world have uh, felt, where people are in extreme danger, um, even death by starvation. We may say, I'm starving, but we've never actually been. Right, so a couple of facts, you know, globally there's enough food to feed the world, but almost 700 million people go hungry every day. Um, in the U.S., 37 million are hungry, including one in seven in the U.S. We live in a land of plenty, even with a globe that can provide for plenty, yet most of us are even thirstier than we know, right? So dehydration is a common cause for hospitalization, uh, and according to one study, about a quarter of older adults are currently uh, dehydrated. So physical hunger and thirst are not generally things we think of as good, but Jesus actually in the Beatitudes uses hunger and thirst as a picture of longing for God. Uh, but hunger and thirst, they cause a domino effect of health issues, right? Um, but today we're going to talk about a kind of hunger and thirst that actually Jesus commends. He actually commends the hunger and thirst for righteousness, the hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, uh, that's what I want us to look at today, and we'll kind of walk through this. Uh, and it, it may even seem like a strange thing to say, but look with me to Matthew chapter 5. If you have a Bible, take it out, it'll follow along with me, or turn it on and follow along with me. But uh, Matthew chapter 5. Now, just to get us started, I'm going to read a few verses before it, just because we want to remind ourselves what we're walking through here, right? It says, seeing the crowds, this is Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up to a mountain, and then he sat down, and his disciples came to him. So the setting here is the Sermon on the Mount. It's the most famous sermon given by the most significant teacher who ever taught anything. So it says this, then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And these are things that if you've been following with us, you know, we're kind of rotating back and forth between online and in person for just a few more weeks. But as you know, we've been walking through these, and last week online I addressed, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Then we come to verse 6, which is our focus today. 
It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Okay, so we don't think of hunger and thirst as good things, things to be longed for, right? Uh, but here we learn that, you know, physical hunger and thirst are examples, if you will, of thirsting for righteousness that brings a depth of satisfaction for our souls. That's what we're going to look today. We're going to look at today is that, that it brings a thirsting for righteousness, brings a depth of satisfaction for our souls. So again, if you're new to Calvary, we are so glad you're here. We do want to welcome you. But we're going through this very famous sermon. The Sermon on the Mount stretches these three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Matthew 5, verses 3 through 12 are commonly called the Beatitudes, and they all begin with blessed are the. Now, a couple of things to remind you that um, when it says blessed are the, it's not referring to the same way in the Old Testament where God would bless his people in a covenant relationship, right? This is important. So a couple of things since we're together, just to remind you, this is not referring to the blessings of a covenant relationship like in the Old Testament. But so, so Matthew's using the word a little differently here, describing Jesus using the word, quoting Jesus using the word a little differently. The Beatitudes are more like Proverbs. These things are generally true. They're more like Proverbs, right? And you can actually see that if you look, and I'll just turn over here and just read a little bit from it. In Psalm 1 is very much like that. It says, blessed is the man whose walk is not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the seat of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. His delight is in the law of the Lord, right? So kind of talks about the good things that come from being this way. And the Beatitudes are a lot like that. So the Beatitudes are like proclamations that invite us to live this kingdom way of living. So the Beatitudes are more, um, are more, if you will, descriptive. They describe a way to live than prescriptive. You must do this. They're more descriptive. They describe a way to live than prescriptive. You must do this. And Jesus is teaching how, how we can flourish in a very upside-down world, right? So again, physical hunger and thirst here are used as examples, and thirsting for righteousness brings a, a really a depth of satisfaction to the soul. So let's try to take a, take, if you're a note-taker, I'm going to give you three things today. Number one, we're going to start with a diet of righteousness. Start with a diet of righteousness. I've noticed that as we're coming out of COVID, it seems that everybody's on a diet. Everybody's on a diet. I, I met with my doctor recently, uh, and he said, you know, 90% of my patients have gained weight, he said. So everyone sort of put on the COVID pounds, right? We all saw that, right? Um, but, but again, you might say, I might say, so who's on a diet here? Don't raise your hand. But I'm saying I could ask who's on a diet here. But we're all on a diet. A diet is just uh, what we eat, right? It's a, it's a diet of, of food and water. And here what we find is that Jesus is calling us to have a, a yearning or a longing for righteousness in the same way we might have a yearning or a longing for physical food, right? So let's take a look, because we're going to talk, I need, we need to talk about righteousness for a little while. Now, if you grew up in church, particularly in a church that was a church that really, you know, taught a lot about what it meant to became a, become a Christian uh, and what it means that you can't earn your own way to heaven. And they taught about how for, by grace you are saved through faith. You know and you've learned that righteousness is not of yourself. There's no one righteous, Romans says. There is no one righteous, not even one. So Calvary Baptist has been preaching that message for, for you know, decades upon decades upon decades. We've been calling women and men to trust and follow Jesus for decades upon decades. And one of the most famous verses that we've used and others have used is the book, uh, from the book of Romans. It says this, Romans 1.17, For it, in it the righteousness of God is revealed 
from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, this is a very famous verse in, for uh, Protestants, right? So for those of you who don't know, we're a uh, church in the Protestant tradition. Um, and for Protestants, Protestants sort of broke with the Catholic Church, uh, uh, led by a guy named Luther, um, who led the charge against certain abuses and theological errors. Now, stay with me. There's a reason I'm going to explain this, right? And so he wanted us to have, and really it was a rediscovery of the biblical teaching that the word righteousness is what actually led Luther to kind of make this break from the teaching of his day, right? Luther says the term righteousness is what led him to understand God, God rightly and ultimately break away from the religion of his upbringing, right? So he read um, over and over, <coughs> excuse me, he read over and over uh, from this passage, this, this verse right here, he read it over and over again. It's Romans 117. He'd read it and say, for the righteous shall live by faith. He'd read it over and again, the righteous shall live by faith. And let me just quote Luther, if, if that's okay. A little bit of a quote. Now stay with me, because there's a reason I'm doing this. Luther said this. These are the words of Luther. He said, um, I greatly longed to understand Paul's epistle to the Romans. That's what we're reading here. Nothing stood in the way except that one expression, the justice or the righteousness of God, because I took it to mean the justice by whereby God is just and deals rightly in pursuing the unjust. He was a monk at the time. He says, my situation was that, although an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner, troubled in conscience, and I had no confidence my merit would be enough. He says, therefore, I did not love a just and angry God, but rather hated and murmured against him. Yet I clung to dear Paul and had a great yearning to know what he meant. He says, night and day I pondered until I saw the connection between the justice of God and the just shall live by faith. He says, then I grasped that the justice of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy God justifies us through faith. Thereupon I fell, felt myself to be reborn and have gone through the open doors to paradise. So we, we talk about here being born again. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we talk about being born again. So Luther had discovered something uh, very important, and it's actually in the Bible, written by the Apostle Paul and others. It's, it's actually called the doctrine of justification, justification by faith alone. Let me say it again. It's the doctrine of justification by faith alone. In other words, you can't be righteous enough on your own, but it's justification by God through faith uh, alone. And this is a wonderful and glorious understanding of righteousness. We just passed recently the 500th anniversary of, uh, of the Reformation. Right? Luther nailed some of these things literally to a door in Germany and said, this I believe. Right? So every pastor in, uh, in the world, probably uh, a Protestant or evangelical, preached a message on that weekend right? and, and talked about this for the 500th. I actually, I actually dressed up as Martin Luther in a monk's robe when I preached, right? And I actually went through and I, I held up these things called the solas, you know, the five solas of the Reformation, right? But here's the thing, okay? This, I tell you all this, I really, this really, many of you remember a lot of this. You know that there is no one righteous, not even one. You've heard somebody tell you that. You've heard that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. You know that righteousness is not your own, but comes through Christ. And I tell you all that because Jesus uses the word differently than Paul does. Now, that's why I want to, I want to lead up to all that, because I want to know what you, what you already know, if you've been to church for a long time, right, is we use words differently all the time, and Jesus and Paul are using the word differently. Anybody here work in a library? Anybody here work in a library? Anybody? No? No librarians here, right? A librarian. 
what do you, you work in a library? You're a pastor at the church. Worked. Just, just answer the question however you want to, Alphonse. Just don't worry about what I'm asking. You just answer whatever you'd like to answer. Okay, so Alphonse once saw a book, so he's now a librarian. Wow, wow. But if you worked at a library, you know what a book is, don't you? It's, you do, right, exactly. Good thing you're here because no one else would have known unless you made up the fact that you're a librarian. Okay. Okay, so that's a book, right? But my, my uncle was a New York City cop, and he'd take people down to the tombs, and they'd get booked, right? So, so, so it's a whole different use of the word, right? So you got a book, and you've got booked. So my grandfather, fire battalion chief for Lower Manhattan, when he retired, he started playing the ponies here, I'm not endorsing this, started playing the ponies here, went down to Florida, and every day, every day he'd get on and he'd, he'd, he'd look for a book. A book is someone who would take a bet. That's how we call bookie for, we've got like a nickname, but a book is someone to take a bet. So three ways to use the same word, right? So we're not uncommon with words. It's not uncommon with words to be used differently. So Jesus is using the term righteousness, and Matthew is using the term righteousness differently than Paul does. And knowing this will help you understand the next several weeks and months as we go through the book of Matthew. If you don't know this, you're going to be confused. Matter of fact, it became so confusing that there became a movement called uh, dispensationalism that our church decades ago was influenced by that actually would look at the Sermon on the Mount and say, you know all I'll talk of righteousness? That must not be for today because there is no one righteous, no, not one. So they actually say that all the stuff in the Sermon on the Mount is for the kingdom age and it's not for today. But later, eventually people said, no, it looks like it's for today. So let's look at it, right? Because there's already things that have sort of given us a hint of that as well. Every time that Matthew uses the term, and Matthew uses the term 18 different times, sometimes quoting Jesus, sometimes using it in, by, by himself, but Matthew quote, uses the word righteousness 18 times, and every time he means right conduct or living the way that God requires. He doesn't mean it the same way where Paul says the righteous shall live by faith, and Luther would explain that righteousness by, and, and justification by faith alone. We already saw it used once when we were talking about Paul, remember, excuse me, when we were talking about John the Baptist. Remember, it says that uh, J Jesus had to convince John the Baptist to baptize him, and he said, it is to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, this is what God requires of you, John, John the Baptist, and Jesus and John were going to be partnered together here in this picture. Now, Jesus, just a few verses beyond here, he, this morning, in the last beatitude, Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. We haven't gotten to that one yet, we're going to. For theirs is the kingdom of God. So it is very clear that righteousness here does not mean justification by faith alone. It's being used differently, just like a book, book, and a book are used in three different ways. Okay, so remember now, we're going to jump into the verse itself, but it's so important you get that background. And I know that's good, because I recognize that right now people are sort of, you know, slowly coming back to church. Let me just say for those of you who are watching at home, we are so glad that you're here, but let me also encourage you that it's important as part of our spiritual journey that we might gather together physically. Electrons and avatars are good, feet and faces are the norm. So let me encourage you to come be here, but when you're ready, you know, we're, no one gets left behind here at Calvary, but the reason that I mention that is, if um, right now, because you know it's summertime, people travel, Matthew so much builds on. So if next week you come to church and you weren't here this week, which wouldn't be possible since you're listening to me, but you get the point, uh, you really need to go through and listen to the last few messages. They're always online. Even when we're in person, we put them uh, always online. So let's, so let's continue through our message here and let's go to number two. 
right? Because we started first, the first thing we looked at was this idea of just kind of explaining, we started with a diet of righteousness, right? We started with a diet of righteousness. What does that actually mean? But we don't end there, right? We're going we're gonna to also have a yearning, number two, is a yearning for God. So this is what this verse is really mostly about. It's about a yearning for God and how blessed you are when you have a yearning for God, right? It says, now, um, we remembered the purpose of the Beatitudes. We talked about that. They're meaning uh, what it means to, to flourish in our lives. We've talked about the meaning of the word righteous, or righteousness will be very important in the next few weeks. Let's look at the verse under consideration again. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Okay? What's Jesus teaching us here? He's painting a word picture, right? That, at least for me, involves the uh, passionate pursuit of something. The passionate pursuit of something. Something that we want. Uh, something that we need. Um, we all know what it means to be hungry and to have a desire for a certain kind of thing. The last time I was here, you know, we're meeting in person, uh, I told Donna I really wanted a New York bagel. I live in Chicago, and Chicago just doesn't have bagels the way that we need bagels here. So I had a hankering for it. I had a hunger for it, right? Went out and found myself Issa Bagel, and I had a good bagel there. And, and, and why? Because I, I, I had, a, had a hunger for it, right? A, a yearning for it. We all recognize when we hear hunger and thirst, it's a yearning for something. It's a yearning for food and a yearning for water. Now, a person can survive without food and water depending upon how they engage it for a few days. Um, with water available, they might be able to go for a couple of months with just no food. Um, but there's an internal desire and a yearning whenever we don't have it. And so it is here. So Jesus is using a very clear word picture. There's an internal yearning or desire for something that we have. It's an intense longing for righteousness. Now again, listen to the words. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, let's give some other verse examples, right? So uh, Psalm 42, verse 2 says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? You hear that? My soul thirsts. So it's clear that it's something that my soul is yearning or experiencing. Okay, here's another. Psalm 63, verse 1 says this. It says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Okay, so don't miss that, right? So there's a clear sense of thirst. Clear. So one of, one of the things, I, I travel with my daughters, uh, Caitlin's here with me, I have three daughters, Caitlin's my favorite, and so I happen to be here with Caitlin today, whoever's with me is my favorite at that time, but the, uh, the last trip I took was in, uh, with one of my daughters, was in the before time, you remember the before time, before COVID, and uh, we went out to California, where actually Caitlin and I are leaving uh, today, we'll leave Newark Airport and fly to California from here, because she's going on some college visits, so we're visiting some colleges. But the last time I took my daughter, we went to, the, uh, we went to California, and I've always had this fascination with certain geographical things, and there's a thing in California called the Salton Sea, which probably you wouldn't be weird enough to know what that is. We live on the whole other side of the country here, right? So the Salton Sea was actually an accident. Um, one day, some people were out there, and uh, they, were, they were actually doing some irrigation and trying to create, uh, you know, they were damming some water so that it would go in and irrigate some area, and 
there's a whole part of the country that is a uh, really lower than the rest, actually lower than sea level in this part. And so they, they were working on here, and somehow uh, the water broke through and created an inland sea. Some of you will Google this later on. It's one of the largest bo accidental bodies of water in the world. And all this water rushed in and rushed in and rushed in and rushed in. And, and soon it became this tourist, you know, Sammy Davis Jr. was out there and all these people. They built this whole community next to the Salton Sea, right? So, so this all just explodes suddenly. So I say to my daughter, Jacqueline, so she's kind of a little bit of a nerd on some of these things like I am. So I'm like, uh, let's go to the Salton Sea. So we drove out to the Salton Sea because what's happened to the Salton Sea is it was an accidental sea, an inland sea. Um, and then what happened is eventually it filled up and then they sealed off the river that, that provided the water to it and then it began to die. And today it's just this vast, smelly, inland sea filled with irrigation chemicals that's slowly dying and everything around it died as well. So you go there and we went there and right now it's kind of an art, like an artist's commune. It's a very different world in the West Coast, just so you're aware. Um, it's kind of an artist's commune. So we went out there and there are these, um, you know, all the little buildings have now been abandoned, but people have painted things on them. We went and took some pictures and, and all that sort of stuff. But here's the thing, right? This is, and right now people are trying to figure out what do we do with the Salton Sea? It's considered the greatest environmental disaster in U.S. history right there, right? So what do we do with it? Because it's thirsty, but there's no water. And it's dying because there's no water. Everything around it is dying because there's no water. So, but you're in this vast desert that suddenly filled up on this. I hope, I hope you'll Google this because it's really kind of fascinating. Not during church, but I hope you'll Google this because it's really kind of fascinating. So here's what I want you to see, right? So without this thirst that is ultimately satisfied, so our spiritual lives are as well, parched and dying without a thirst that is quenched. Psalm 143, verse 6 says, I stretch out my hands to you, my soul thirsts for you like a parched land. So when you really stand on the shore of the, the sea, which it just, the stench, all the fish died years ago, but the stench is just overwhelming of it. And you stand there and you're like, this is what a spiritual life is without the inflowing of the living water that is Jesus. Does that make sense? Because several times here I've used examples of water here, right? We use examples of water, how New York City, even itself, because when water was, you know, we had to bring down new levels of water and more, and how New York City now has some of the best tap water in the world. My, my daughter asked me when we were at the hotel, so, so what's the water like here? It's the best in the world in New York City tap water. You guys know that. So here's the thing, right? We see this longing or this passion to obey God in the life of Jesus himself. In, in Matthew Excuse me, in John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus literally says this, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. I love that. Right, so how was Jesus longing satisfied? My food, he says, is to do the will of him who sent me. Or Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So, right, so, so from uh, Jesus saying God's word is more valuable to him than food. And here's the thing I want you to point, which you not to miss. It points to an internal yearning, right? Here's the key thing, an internal yearning. I'd like you to ask you to say those two words out loud with me, would you? Let's say it together. An internal yearning. One more time, internal yearning. So that's what hunger and thirsting for righteousness is. It's an internal yearning for the righteousness that God works in us. 
right? So uh, we see this in Matthew 5, 6. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness is a deep passion to please God in all that you do. Let me quote St. Augustine, or Augustine, depending on what part of the country you live in. St. Augustine um, was commenting on this verse, and here's what he said. He said, what is retained with delight is not abandoned. In other words, what is obtained with delight is not abandoned without pain, right? If we're passionate about righteousness, we hunger and thirst, we make it part of who we are, Jesus followers, then we will not quickly abandon it. We want it. We yearn for it. So we understand that Jesus is encouraging us here to live rightly and to live righteously, right? To live rightly and live righteously. But we sometimes miss the meaning that's here, right? Everyone does the right thing now and then, right? Even a broken clock is right twice a day. Going a step further, um, many people do the right thing when it benefits them. But Jesus is pointing to a passionate concern, a driving desire, an inward yearning to do what's right all the time. It includes doing a full day's work, you know, instead of knocking off 15 minutes early and stealing time each day for your company, right? It means being ethical in your financial dealings. It means pursuing righteousness is to be reconciled with your contentious neighbor, maybe right below you, right? Or, or you know, or, or a person who grumbles because your kids' bikes are in front of the in front of the house or in front of the building, right? And, and it lowers everyone's property values. Whatever it may be, it is, it's not that you earn God's favor by doing these things. That's a different kind of righteousness. It's that you pursue God's character while you do these things. Let me say it again so you don't miss it, okay? It's not that you earn God's favor by doing these things. You, we know there's no one righteous. No one can be good enough for God. That's why God sent Jesus who was good enough for God, right? It's not that you earn God's favor by doing these things. It's that you pursue God's character while you do these things. So that's the hunger and thirsting for righteousness. This is why the Beatitudes are so, are so beautiful, and I think are so essential, the Sermon on the Mount is so essential as well. So, no, this is not a congratulations for those who do the right thing, but it's a perpetual hunger and thirst for righteousness, right? Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness flourish, not those who think they've obtained it, right? So remember, physical hunger and thirst are the examples here. And hungering and thirsting for righteousness brings a depth of satisfaction to our soul. Number three on our outline today, in our final point on our outline today. Um, number three is, and we went through, we're kind of building kind of a sentence, right? So we're building a sentence sometimes that makes it, might make it easy for us to remember. And I started with, start with the diet of righteousness, right? Start with the diet of righteousness, number one. Number two, add a yearning for God, right? We're making a, a recipe here. Add a, start with a diet of righteousness, add a yearning for God. And number three, enjoy the experience of satisfaction. Enjoy the experience of satisfaction, right? So the, the example is hunger and thirsting for righteousness, right? So, so last night after the Canaries took us out, threw me on the floor at a restaurant so they could get a free meal. We actually did get a free meal last night. They were like, yeah, Ed, we broke that chair so you would be here. And I thought, you know, I've lost weight. I don't know how I'm breaking chairs, but I did right there. Am I lying? Did that actually happen last night? It actually happened last night. The doctor's canary are trying to hurt me. Um, come all the way to New York and literally I'm laying on the floor of a restaurant. It was so awesome. But, and then, you know, the, the worst part about it is, I mean, the worst part about this is that I have a grapefruit size bump on my back this morning. That's the worst part of it right now. But hey, you know, that's the, the drugs are getting me through. Uh, don't do drugs except these. Um, so, um, and then the worst part is everyone's coming out and looking at you like, are you okay? Are you okay? And so finally I said, 
I said, I'm leaving. And so I went outside and kind of walked around because then people would leave me alone, right? So, uh, but, but, um, but then we came back in and, you know, sat down and the food was really good. Canaries, thank you for allowing me to buy you dinner last night with my physical pain. I appreciate that you allowed me to do that. Did you enjoy the food? Did you enjoy the food? You did? Of course you did, because it was free, because of me. Um, happy to serve you. Happy to serve you. This is my plan. I go from restaurant to restaurant in New York City, falling in order to, in order to provide. Can you imagine? I mean, you're in a restaurant, and you just fall. Anyway. And there they pick up the leg of the, the chair, and like, huh, there's a leg of the chair in this guy's hand. I'm like, this doesn't end well for me. Um, but, it was, but it was good, right? It was good food that we ended for free, made it better. But look at the rest of Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, right? Hunger and thirsting for righteousness. What happens? Um, how do they flourish? Jesus says, they will be satisfied. Those four words are so good. So we all know. So this is such an easy example to understand. And that's why Jesus uses it, right? Everyone knows what it's like to be full and satisfied after a meal. Everyone knows what it's like to have a big drink when you're thirsty. And so Jesus says, this is what it's like. So he doesn't do this in all the Beatitudes, but he actually gives the end result. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be satisfied. Satisfied. Literally, the word means you'll be stuffed. That's what it literally means. So you're going to sit back and say, and that's what, that's what the canaries are doing. They're like, oh, this is so good, free food from Ed Stetzer. They were sitting back, enjoying the fullness of it. For me, I wasn't. I wasn't. I suffered for that meal. I did. Took one for the team. It's all part of the plan when we came in. Um, so it's kind of a graphic, I mean, it's actually a graphic word that you would use before you'd uh, fatten a hog before you slaughter it. That's the word, you'll be satisfied, Jesus says. And in modern English, we use the phrase to be stuffed, like our, you know, third helping in Thanksgiving, right? So Jesus who says, Jesus says that those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be stuffed, will be satisfied. And I love this. This is actually the same word that Matthew uses later when we get to uh, Matthew chapter 14. Here's what it says. It says in Matthew chapter 14, verse 20, and they all ate and were satisfied. They took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. Remember when they had the two loaves and fishes and everyone ate and was satisfied? That's how big it was. Same word used there. It can mean saturated, like when a little patch of grass is saturated with water. They'll not only have what they desire, they'll, have, they'll be saturated with it. So if it's not as if satisfaction is partial, or we're mostly satisfied. Jesus says, we'll be full. Augustine says, it's a full supply. A full supply. Uh, one of the things I miss um, in the days of COVID is Costco samples. <laughs> right? Are you tracking with me? Yeah, you are. You've been there. You've been there. I mean, you just go sometimes just for the samples, right? What do you want to do today? I don't want to hit up Costco for some samples. And then... COVID ruined it. And it's still not back. It's still not back. I literally have a Costco membership for the bacon wrap samples. And yet it's not there anymore. Um, so, you know, and it's kind of like how though you do enough, if you do enough, you have to go, you know, you have to go through the whole store. Just one sample is not satisfying. You basically make a day trip of it, right? It's going from buffet to buffet. Um, but here's the thing, right? Just take one. There's not that level of satisfaction that we're talking about here. So the second thing I want you to notice, too, is how ultimately um, the verb is passive. It's not like you filling yourself up. It says they will be satisfied, not they will satisfy themselves. 
When you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be satisfied. But not because of you, but because of the goodness and the glory of God. You'll flourish in God's kingdom when you pursue righteousness. That's the problem. You'll not be disappointed. You'll be full. You'll not just receive a trace. Psalm 84 verse 2 speaks of this beautifully. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for, the, for joy to live in God. Some of you may know Psalm 84 is, I was glad when they said to me, let us come to the house of the Lord. And that's what we've done here today. We've come to the house of the Lord. You say, Ed, that app takes too much work. Can I just tell you? Some people in parts of the world work, walk four hours to gather together in a time like this. They'll travel across the countryside. They'll go through dangers. They'll actually face persecution. Why? Because to come together satisfies in some way our souls. That's what I encourage us to make it a priority that we do so here together. So my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. I want you not to miss this because there's something good and right about the hunger and thirst for righteousness, even though that satisfaction may not always be present, but it always eventually comes. It's such a beautiful thing. Actually, um, I mention Augustine a lot here because Augustine writes a lot on the Beatitudes. And Augustine, great church father Augustine, speaks specifically on this Beatitude. In, in a strange but wonderfully appropriate analogy, he contrasts Jesus' teaching with literal food and ointment for a wound. Right? He says, when we hunger for actual food, we eat and are satisfied for a few hours, but after the fullness... Um, after the fullness wears off, the hunger returns. If you have a wound, you apply, uh, you apply an ineffective ointment so that you're applying it every day, but the wound never heals. Food and unproductive ointment never satisfy. But here's what, he, here's what he says. But when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus says we will be stuffed. So I guess the question is, what are you hungering and thirsting for? I was thinking back to my grandfather, who would find a book to place the bed. And every day, I'd go over, I'd mow his lawn. We, we, he moved down to Florida, because when you retire from the New York Fire Department, that's actually the law. Um, so he moved down to Florida, and then eventually our family moved down to Florida from New York after him. And he was always waiting for the big win, when the, when the ponies would sort of come in, or the greyhound would sort of come in. And, and I remember watching him, because he would always come in, he would kind of bring me into it. He'd like, hey, look at this, look, we're going to play some bet here. And I was like, okay, I don't know what's going on. But he was never ultimately satisfied with that pursuit. And yet that's the command that the promise, the proverbial truth that Jesus has at work here. Um, because ultimately there comes that. Let's listen to um, Psalm 42, verse 1. By the way, if you haven't noticed now, there's a disproportionate number of the verses that I've quoted have been made into songs because we sing about longing for the Lord. How about Psalm 42, verse 1? You're going to want to sing it as soon as I say it. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. That's the King James Version, right? So my soul pants after you. That's the longing. So, so in the Old Testament, we're, we're called to this kind of longing. And then Matthew 5, 6 says, they will be satisfied in the New Testament, right? Only he knows us because he made us. If we want to pursue righteousness, if we want to genuinely want right conduct, then Jesus is our only hope. He alone was perfect. He alone lived a life of full obedience, of full righteousness, right, to our heavenly Father. And he alone is the only way to the Father. And this is not something that, I don't know, maybe if I could just, it's Father's Day. It's Father's Day. You may have known that. This is the day when my children all have to come to me and sing, you're a good, good father. 
it's who you are and I sing back that's what I am <laughs> right that's what I do it's Father's Day Caitlin's gonna yell at me because I she hates it when I sing during a sermon don't you you do okay that's all right that's who I am <laughs> um, but you know sometimes men sometimes not always maybe have a dip more difficulty we want to be complete and yet here we said blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness in October 4th 1997 I gathered with a million men a million of my closest friends on the mall in Washington DC and I remember singing a song in Washington DC that day it was called a promise keepers it wasn't a protest or a march it was a men's rally about keeping our promise and pursuing righteousness in our personal lives communities our families and more and we sang this song it's called knowing you and I remember standing there with a million men weeping all around us and it went like this because uh, knowing you, Jesus, um, knowing you, and then it hits this, there is no greater thing. You're my all, you're the best, you're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. Any of you there that day, by the way? You were there? You were there? Yeah. A few of my closest, you were there? A few of my closest friends were there. You remember singing that song? And it was the highlight of the moment, seeing a million men yearn for God, knowing you all I once held dear, built my life upon, all the world reveres and wars to own, all I once thought gain I have now counted loss, spent and worthless compared to this. Well, what? Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my all, you're my best, you're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. So that hunger and thirst for righteousness is central what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's central to the teaching of the Beatitudes as well. I'm going to ask our worship team to come join me on our stage as we finish our gathered time together. But I want to tell you about another song. And this is a song that I heard probably for the first time on August 13th, 1977. Because on August 13th, 1977, we had moved down from New York to Florida. I was a new kid in town didn't fit in because my New York ways, I found out some words that I thought were normal words that people used in conversation in New York were not words that they used in Florida. My dad called them his bowling words. So I didn't have a lot of friends and went off to this, my mother forced me to go to this retreat, a little church there, and she forced me to go. Uh, I got in trouble for something, this is my punishment. And there on the Friday night, they sang a song called Turn Your Eyes upon Jesus and I did that day and that day I didn't search seek for my own righteousness I acknowledged there was nothing I could do to be good enough to earn God's approval he already loved me so much that he sent Jesus see there was no one righteous no not one so that day I received by grace and through faith the good news of the gospel I was born again on that day and it would probably take decades later till I fully understood that then I would live my life hungering and thirsting for righteousness knowing that I shall indeed be satisfied so as we close our message today I want to ask you two ways you might respond if you're here today or watching today and you're not a follower of Jesus I want to encourage you to turn your eyes upon Jesus and I want to encourage you to acknowledge that you can't 
Follow God in your own strength. You'd never be good enough for God. There's none righteous, no, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's you. That's me. We need Jesus and his righteousness. And that's called receiving Christ and being born again. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to do that today with me just now. And if you are a follower of Jesus, I want you to hear the words of Jesus. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I want to encourage you to live your life yearning for, thirsting and hungering for the kind of righteousness that comes as we live for him. So if you don't know him, you can come to know him today and receive his righteousness. If you do know him, you can walk in the beauty of his righteousness. Would you take just a moment and pray with me? Lord, we come before you today and we pray that in the quietness of this moment that you might speak to women and men, young people about where they are with you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I want maybe just to pray this simple prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart, Lord. I want you to be my Savior and my Lord. I trust and follow you. Father, I pray for women and men who just prayed that, young people just prayed that. Lord, they would even take that next step to share it with us, but they've begun this journey they've been born again. And Father, for all of us, we come before you today and we hear the words of Jesus. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. May we turn our eyes upon Jesus and in doing so, may we walk in the truth of that righteousness. May we walk in the beauty of that relationship. Thank you for listening to Tell It From Calvary. If you feel led to give toward the local, national, and global ministries of Calvary Baptist, please visit cbcnyc.org give or call us at 212-975-0170. We hope you join us next time as we continue to tell it from Calvary.